Good morning. And again, Merry Christmas to all. Thank you. At least two of you gave that back. Good to see everyone today. We're uh, delighted that you can be here, and especially those of you who are our guests. And uh, we are thankful for your presence, thankful for an opportunity to worship the Lord, to remember him as we do every Lord's Day, every Sunday, uh, that Christ came into the world, but did a in a special way today uh, to do that, and rejoicing that a lot of people in the world are doing that who don't normally do so, and uh, we're, we're thankful to have that opportunity uh, to speak and think and sing praises to the Lord, and are grateful that other people are doing so as well. Have you ever had a dream that seemed so real that you and your kind of semi-waking state thought maybe it was, but then you couldn't remember it. <laughs> Am I the only one that ever happens to? You know, you'll have those dreams, and they're just so vivid, so alive, so real, and then when you wake up, you can't even remember what they were about. Dreams are strange, fleeting things, aren't they? So much so that the Old Testament writers frequently speak of the wicked uh, in, as being like dreams, because they're so temporary and because they vanish so quickly. But not all dreams are like that, are they? We do remember some of them, some we cannot forget. And we may wonder if they contain some kind of message. I don't know if you noticed or not, but in the readings uh, from Matthew chapter 1 and 2 today, Joseph had four dreams, four dreams. And Joseph did not forget these dreams because they were messages from God. And he knew they were messages from God. They had something to do with the coming of the Messiah into the world. And God revealed that to Joseph in these four dreams. Dream number one came after Joseph had learned some troubling news about his betrothed, Mary. Remember that betrothal was actually pre-marriage only it was, it was a legal binding arrangement. And the only way to dissolve it was through a divorce. During the betrothal period, a man and, the, and woman lived apart. Uh, she lived in her parents' house, and he lived usually with his parents in their house. But then at the end of a year, he would go and take his bride, and then they would begin to live together as husband and wife. But they were considered already married uh, from the time of the betrothal. Well, Joseph had found out that his betrothed, Mary, was pregnant, and he knew that he wasn't the father. And that was deeply troubling to him. The text says it was before they came together, and so Joseph was faced with something of a dilemma because the law said that she should be stoned to death for adultery, but he didn't want that to happen. He didn't want to see that happen to her, uh, and so he decided that he was going to divorce her Quietly. Now, he's already made up his mind about this. He already has a plan. And then he has a dream. He has a dream. You see, he wasn't planning to go against the law, but the practice in his day was that you could have a private divorce where there was no public shaming, no public spectacle about it, no humiliation. And that's what Joseph was planning to do before he had that dream. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, just as the angel of the Lord appeared to Abraham in the Old Testament. 
And the angel said, first of all, and I love this, when angels appear to people, usually the first thing they say, fear not. I suspect there's something about the appearance of an angel that makes you need that. Fear not. And so he said, Joseph, fear not, and don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And he goes ahead uh, to tell him that you, she will bear a son, and you shall name his, call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now he's going to call him Jesus, which is the uh, Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, Yehoshua, which means the Lord saves. So you're going to name him the Lord saves, or the Lord is salvation. And he's going to save his people from their sins. Verses 22 and 23, because what was written in the prophet Isaiah, and behold, a virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and he, you shall call his name Emmanuel. And so this is going to be the fulfillment of that great prophet. Now, Joseph knew this wasn't an ordinary dream. So when he woke up, he did what the angel said. The Bible says he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus, just as he'd been told to do. That's dream number one. Dream number two comes after the birth of Jesus, when Herod was seeking to kill the newborn king of the Jews. If you don't know anything about Herod the Great, you should know he was a megalomaniac, and he wasn't very mentally stable. And he's a man of great cruelty. And he's a man of great superstition. And so when he heard that there was a new king of the Jews who had been born, all he could think of was, I've got to eliminate the competition. I've got to get rid of him. So he set out to do that. But again, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him to take the baby and uh, his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there. Stay there until those who seek the child's life are dead because Herod wants to kill him. And once again, Joseph did what the angel said, and he stayed there until the death of Herod the Great. By the way, we know the date of Herod's death, 4 B.C. That helps us date Jesus' birth. So Herod the Great died, and after he died, dream number three. An angel again appears to Joseph and told him to return to Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. You can go back now, but then dream number four. He is warned in a dream, no mention of an angel this time, but he's warned in a dream not to go to Judea because Archelaus, the son of Herod the Great, was ruling in Judea, but not in, northern, in Galilee, not in northern Israel. And so he took him uh, to Galilee, took Jesus and Mary to Galilee, and they lived in Nazareth in order to fulfill another prophecy, that he would be called a Nazarene. You see, Archelaus was, if anything, uh, as bad as, or if not worse, than his father. And so Joseph was warned not to go there, but go to Galilee instead, where Archelaus has no jurisdiction, and he went to the town of Nazareth, and that's where Jesus grew up. Now, why are we focusing on these four dreams? Because these four dreams tell us most of what we know about Joseph. His story is pretty much wrapped up in those four dreams, but there is some other information about him that we don't want to overlook. First of all, we know that Joseph was descended from King David. Last week, we talked about Mary and how uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to her, and we discussed the question of why her? Why Mary? Why this one young peasant girl in, in Galilee out of all the others? 
Now we ought to think of the same question. Why Joseph? Well, part of that answer is given in Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, in the genealogy of Jesus. You'll notice that uh, Joseph is listed there in verse 16, the first time he's ever mentioned, that he is Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ or Messiah. And the reason that's important is because this, this genealogy is traced through David. And so Joseph is a descendant of David. Why was that important? Because 2 Samuel 7 had said that the Messiah would be a descendant of David. And the Messiah being a descendant of uh, David was vitally important so that Jesus would be qualified to be the Messiah. And so although Joseph was not his biological father, he was his adoptive father, which put him in the Davidic line. And that also explains why the angel had said to him, you shall name him, call his name Jesus. Notice the angel gave him the name, but it was up to him to name him. That was a formal process. Because when he named him, when he gave him his name, that was Joseph acknowledging him as his son. And so Jesus falls into the Davidic line of descent. That Davidic descent is confirmed in the story of Luke chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. If they lived in Nazareth, why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? Because Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. And when it came time to register everybody, and by register think tax, when it came time for the Romans to tax everybody, you were supposed to go to your ancestral home. And his ancestral home was Bethlehem, the city of David. And so that's why he took Mary as pregnant as she was and made the difficult journey down to Bethlehem. And that's why Jesus was born there, because he was a descendant of David. So that part of Joseph's story is important. We also know his occupation. He was a carpenter. Matthew chapter 13, verse 55 after Jesus had told all those marvelous parables of the kingdom in Matthew 13. And the townspeople were wondering, well, who is this? Where did he get all this wisdom? And they said, is not this the carpenter's son? And are not his brothers here with us and all of his sisters? It's in that same place that we learned that Jesus had sisters and where his brothers are named for us. And we find out that Joseph was a carpenter. And apparently Jesus, as we would expect, took, this, <clears throat> took up the same trade because Mark chapter 6 and verse 3 says that when he was rejected by the people in his hometown, they said, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? I, I think we should read that with a little bit of disdain in their voices. He's just that carpenter. He's just that son of Mary. We know him. He can't be anything special. But we know Joseph's occupation in relation to, we find that out in relation to Jesus. One other thing we know about Joseph is that he very likely died young. Why do we say that? Well, Joseph is mentioned in the birth stories of Jesus in Matthew and in Luke. And then he's mentioned again uh, in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus is 40 days old and is taken to the temple for purification. And then he's mentioned one more time in uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, 
when Jesus was 12 years old and got separated from his parents, and they found him in the temple conversing with the teachers. And after that, he does not figure in the story of Jesus again. His name is mentioned, but he is not part of the action. He is not part of the story. The usual assumption is, is that sometime between Jesus' age of 12 and 30, when he began his public ministry, Luke 3.23 says, it's sometime during those years that Joseph had passed away. And so by the time Jesus began his public ministry, he was no longer living. There's some support to that uh, in the Gospel of John. And the fact that Jesus, as he was dying on the cross, looked down at his mother and the beloved disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and said, Woman, behold your son, and to the disciple, behold your mother. And she was going to need somebody to take care of her, and Jesus entrusted her. Uh, to the care of the beloved disciple, John. So Joseph apparently was already off the scene. But far more important than all of that, far more important than all of that, are Joseph's spiritual qualities. I want you to notice that in the story of Joseph, there's only one adjective ever used to him, and that's the word just. Matthew 1 says that he, as he considered the situation with Mary and her pregnancy, that being a just man, he had decided to, to divorce her quietly. This word just can also be translated as righteous. We don't get that signal given to us in our English translations, but particularly in the letters of Paul, you will find this very word uh, translated sometimes as just, particularly when speaking about God, God is just, but also is speaking uh, as to translate it as righteous. So just and righteous. So Joseph, with this one word, is described both ways. He is just and righteous. They are very similar concepts. But Matthew 1 verse 19 said that he was a just man or a righteous man. Now what does that tell us about him? Well, it tells us that just like Mary, he was obviously a person of deep piety and devotion to God because he was righteous. He was a good man. He was a godly man. Luke 2, verses 22 to 24 says, When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That particular sacrifice was the one offered for Jesus because Leviticus chapter 12 had provided uh, that in the case of a couple who were poor and they could not afford a lamb, that they could offer uh, up a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, and that's what was offered for Jesus. Now that tells us that Mary and Joseph were not financially well off, but we shouldn't conclude what some people do sometimes, well, they were destitute. No, I don't think that's the case at all. Uh, Joseph had a trade. He was a carpenter or a builder by trade, and he ended up with a household of seven or more children. 
So I suspect, well, on second thought, maybe he was poor all of his life. Uh, <clears throat> you know, but if you think back about it, those of you who have children, you know, when we have your first child, you're not usually really well off, right? Uh, and if you got the opportunity for the discounted offering, that's probably the one you would make. And that's the one that Mary and Joseph made. More important, it shows that Joseph, though, was placing uh, his trust in God and that he was dutifully following the law of the Lord. He was going to do what the law said, even though he might have been poor. He was going to offer that sacrifice. He was going to have that baby purified, and he was going to offer the sacrifice that the Lord required. I don't find that surprising at all. Do you? Uh, what else could you expect from the man who had been chosen by God to raise his own son? Of course he chose someone who was righteous in the keeping of the law. But secondly, because he was righteous, he was also obedient. Obedient to God. Did you notice that every time he had a dream and the angel told him to do something, he did it. And he did exactly what he was told. I suspect that when uh, he first found out about Mary's unexpected pregnancy, the Bible says he woke from sleep and he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took his wife and knew her not until she'd given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. I suspect, though, that Joseph is thinking in the back of his mind, you know, my plan would have been a lot easier. <laughs> my plan would have been a lot simpler. I could have just put her away quietly, and that would have been the end of this as far as I'm concerned. I wouldn't have had to go through all of this. Uh, we wouldn't have had to make this, uh, this evacuation to Egypt and then back and then figure out where to live and all this other stuff. For him, it could have been easier, but he wasn't going to violate God's plan. Just because it was easier didn't mean it was right. Just because it was easier didn't mean it was the thing to do. And so Joseph was obedient to God. Likewise, when he was warned to flee from Herod, it says he took the child and his mother and he departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And by doing so, he fulfilled a prophecy. Out of Egypt shall I have I called my son. The same thing happened when he was told to return to Israel and not go to Judea. He did exactly as he was told in order to preserve the life of the child. And he fulfilled another prophecy. He shall be called a Nazarene. He was a righteous man because he was obedient to God. But I want you to notice something else about this. Because he was a just man, a righteous man, he was also compassionate. You know, sometimes being righteous can, can make us a little harsh if we're not careful. Sometimes being righteous can make us a little more stern than we ought to be. According to the strict letter of the law, Joseph had every right to publicly expose Mary to humiliation, even to have her charged with a capital offense. He had every right to say, folks, I am innocent in this. I, my hands are clean. Uh, I've got nothing to do with this. And, and just turn and walk away. He had every right, according to the law, to do that. And being a righteous man, he could have righteously done that very thing. But he didn't. And we wonder, why didn't he want to do that? Well, we might answer, he still loved Mary. And that may be the case. 
But you know, the Bible never says anything about him loving her in particular in the first place. People back then generally practiced arranged marriages. They were not necessarily based on attraction and affection. So I don't know whether that's the answer or not or even a part of it. But I think also what's more important is that Joseph had a tender heart. He had a tender heart. The Bible says he did not want to publicly, publicly expose her to humiliation. He probably thought, you know, she's going to have enough of that. She's going to have to have this child and, and not be married if he had followed through with his plan. And she'll have people talk about her and she'll have people talk behind her back and she'll have folks laughing about her. And she's going to have a great burden to bear. And so he just didn't want to add to that by putting her to public shame. So he resolved to just put her away quietly. Thomas Long, in his commentary on Matthew, points out that Joseph was on the horns of a dilemma. Because he was a just man, a righteous man, he wanted to do exactly what the law required. He wanted to do exactly what the law said. And the law said that she should be put to death. But also because he was a righteous man, he couldn't bring himself to do that. He didn't want to do that. He didn't want to humiliate her. He certainly did not want to see her die. He did not want to exact vengeance on her. He had no desire for that. And so on the one hand, he's got what the law says. And on the other hand, he's got what God's heart has always said, not to take vengeance. And so what's he going to do? You see, Jesus was coming into the world to replace the law of sin and death with the law of love and the law of grace. And Joseph exemplifies, exemplifies dealing with others out of a heart of compassion instead of with the letter of law. Now, don't get me wrong here. This is not to say Joseph serves as an excuse for not doing what the law says. That's not the point at all. But something is changing with the birth of this child, isn't it? Something is changing from the dispensation of the law to the dispensation of grace. Something is changing in the way that people are to deal with one another out of love and compassion, and not necessarily by demanding what is rightfully ours. And that's where Joseph finds himself. Knowing full well what the law says, being deeply committed to it, but at the same time, feeling called to act out of that heart of compassion. This child, who was later to be born, would eventually teach, unless your righteousness exceeds that, of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There was a greater righteousness than that of the scribes and Pharisees. I have no doubt that if the scribes and Pharisees had been asked by Joseph, what do you fellows think I ought to do with Mary? I have no doubt what they would have said. I have no doubt. But Jesus says you've got to have a greater righteousness than that. And he goes ahead in the Sermon on the Mount and he talks about not demanding that letter of the law and exacting punishment and exacting vengeance 
<clears throat> but instead, he says, that we are to treat one another compassionately. He says we are to treat one another out of love. We are to see what the law is really about. You have heard that it was said, Jesus says, that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Oh, that's, I love the logic of that, don't you? But Jesus said, I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Act toward others out of a spirit of love and compassion. So the next time you think about Joseph, don't just think of Jesus' earthly father. He was that, but also Joseph is also a model. He's a model for all of us in how we ought to live, being intensely sensitive to what God says, being instantly ready to follow God's law at every opportunity, but at the same time, at the same time, being ready to give grace to others. That's the great lesson of his life. But even more, that's the great lesson that Jesus came to teach. That's the great lesson that he came to give. And aren't you thankful today that he did? Because it's because of that mercy and grace that he doesn't just exact vengeance on us. He holds out the gospel. He holds out the freedom to be redeemed from our sins. If you haven't been redeemed from your sins yet, what a wonderful day it would be to do that. What a wonderful day to confess your faith in Christ and to be baptized into him, into his death, and raised to a new life, a life lived as the way Joseph lived his life, being sensitive to the call of God and obedient to everything that he tells you to do, but living toward God and toward other people with that great heart of compassion. If you're ready to start that journey today, please come and tell us. Let's stand and sing. Uh -huh.